when Lumpur Cha passed away and the news went out to other monks and monasteries around Thailand. Very quickly, Lungta Mahabua heard the news and got into a car with, um, driven by a disciple of his who was a doctor and drove for about five hours to Ubon from Udon Thani where he lived. And he arrived in the late afternoon to visit uh, the corpse of Lumpocha and give some support to the Sangha. And one of the themes that he talked about on that evening. And he gave some informal teaching and also a formal talk. But the theme he kept coming back to was the importance of a teacher. The role of the teacher, the benefit of having a good teacher. What we call a Kanyana Mitta. One of the reflections he gave is like when you have a teacher, it's like having a shortcut in the practice. They save you time, they save you getting lost in the woods, taking wrong turns, making mistakes, and so on. Lumpocha himself encouraged us to value the Vinaya training that we have to respect elders in the Sangha. It's a system of training based on hierarchy and those who ordain first, sit first walk first in the line, they sit first, and we always pay respects to those who are elders, to us, whether by a, a day or 10, 20, 30 years. But particularly to pay attention to the words of elders because they have so much experience. As Buddhism, We, we begin our practice of Buddhism by hearing the words and we have the texts, the suttas and the Vinaya Pitaka, which are invaluable. But the teacher helps to provide some form of living example of those teachings. Because Buddhism isn't wasn't meant to be uh, just a system or a set of beliefs or dogmas, doctrines. 
we have the teaching on karma, we have the teaching on not self, and so on. I mean, then these are things that are not just to be believed in. But how do you practice with these things? Even the Vinaya, we study the rules, which is again invaluable as a beginning point. But how do we practice? And that's where teachers and senior Sangha members help us. Lumpur Chai himself was an excellent practitioner of the Dhamma. We, many of us perhaps, didn't know him personally, but many people believe he was fully awakened. Certainly a very wise, peaceful, compassionate person. And he embodied many of the qualities of the Kalyanamitta and the qualities that we aspire to in our, in our practice. Recollecting him and recollecting other senior Sangha members, listening to them, seeing how they live, following their example gives us a lot of inspiration and helps us learn how to apply these teachings in our daily life, which is our challenge as monks. We live in the forest and dedicate ourselves to the cultivation of the Eightfold Noble Path. We're not simply scholars studying texts and remembering texts, even though we may do that. Our real challenge is to put the practice, put the teachings into practice and come to know and realize the Dhamma for ourselves. That means to reduce and ultimately end uh, the dukkha, the stress, the suffering that we experience. Lumpur Chai encouraged us to reflect on suffering and its causes all the time, open up to them, become aware of those truths. So he's constantly pointing out what is suffering and encouraging people to wake up to their own suffering so they can understand it better, understand more clearly what its cause is and then what to do about it. Somebody reminded me uh, yesterday of a teaching that Lumpur Cha gave, a simple one. The, he explained the Buddha taught people who don't know to know. 
that the people who know and don't practice the Buddha didn't teach. Bochar very much encouraged us to practice these teachings so that we can know. The only way we can know, really penetrate what the Buddha taught, what Bochar taught, is through the practice. Remembering them is, is a good start, but we have to learn how to turn our attention back to this body and mind and really penetrate the truth of them. One reflection that helps is the teaching that the flavor of the, the practice of Dhamma is always one of liberation. And we're liberating our hearts and minds from the cause of Dhamma, from the cause of Dukkha. We don't do things that increase our dukkha or the dukkha of others. That's our aim in the practice. It may take time to realize what actions and what things we need to do to reduce and end dukkha are. But that's a good guideline, a good starting point. Every morning if we chant, we reflect. What is dukkha? How does it manifest? These five khandhas, the five groups of our experience of our hu as a human being, physical form, feelings, memory, thought formations, sense consciousness, these are the upadana khandhas, and the basis for clinging, and their dukkha. As long as we are clinging to this body and the mental activities, we suffer. So how do we cling? Well, we create this feeling of self, self-identity. We identify with the, the candors, we say the focuses of identity. As long as we don't examine this truth more closely, then we tend to just take it for granted. It becomes our assumed reality, just we assume this is the way things are. I am this body, this body is me. I am my thoughts, I think, therefore I am. These thoughts are me, these thoughts are mine. We have this basic delusion that the candors, body and mind, are self. And we act accordingly. So we try to do things to better this self, to 
have more happiness in whatever way that this self believes or views happiness will be gained. So it leads on to once we have a sense of self, then it leads on to trying to do things to promote and protect and enhance this sense of self. But the flavor of the Dhamma is coming back to question that and looking and learning from experience and recognizing that maybe that's flawed, that view, that way of doing things. You notice it follow, it flows through the every aspect of Buddhist practice that we do. So we begin, as we know, Buddhism encourages us to practice generosity as a starting point. And what is the practice of generosity? It involves sharing, involves service, involves consideration of others, thinking of others. So immediately it's a, it's a small, maybe it's just a small step in the way of practicing letting go of self, non-self. Not only are we so concerned with our own candors, we, we open up to realize there are other people around in the world they may also have sets of candors that they're attached to and they identify with. But when you're practicing generosity, you're recognizing they're, they're there. You're here, you're, they're there. You may still have a very strong sense of self, conceit, attachment. But whenever you practice any form of dharma, or service, or sharing. The aim is to consciously liberate yourself from a feeling of self as you do that. You're reducing that sense of self. A lot of our dana and service we might do without consciously trying to reduce the attachment to self. Maybe just do it out of habit or feel almost feel obliged to do it because other people are doing it. But now we've got to this point where we're bhikkhus living in a monastery. We, we can really use this. Our under, deeper understanding we're gaining from the practice to, to use the practice of dana or service to reduce the sense of self. Sometimes we think to practice generosity or help others means you have to be with other people. And then you wonder if living Spending a lot of time on your own is, how is it possible to help others? 
And if you stop, pause, and think about it, or even if you're on your own, you can still help others. You live in the forest, you look after the kuti you're in. You put effort into training in the Vinaya, living peacefully, harmlessly. You're already doing something which is a gift to others, whether they are there to witness it or not. You look after your kuti as long as you live in it, then it's a gift for the next person who may use it later on. You keep to the vinaya, you don't harm the creatures that live in the forest. You're giving a, a gift to them. When we are in community, we come together to for communal activities and we meet other people in the course of our day. Then, of course, there are more obvious ways that we practice dana. We share our time, share our physical energy, share our knowledge. And we give the gift of safety and security through our practice of sila, mindfulness and restraint. All of this we're doing to reduce the sense of self the identification with these candors. I mean, you know, when you practice dana, sometimes you're tired. You have to put up with feelings of aches and pains or ailments. But you might be willing to do that because you're seeing it. So you're letting go of sense of self by doing an act of service or helping someone. And you reflect, well, these, these feelings that arise, and they're just feelings. There's a cause, a condition for it. You, you're putting forth physical effort, maybe. But you can reflect and let go of some of yourself as you're doing that act of service, act of dana. practice of the precepts, the Vinaya, the same. And the aim is to help us to reduce this attachment to self. So we have one aspect of the Vinaya is we, we all practice the same rules. There's no preferences or special cases really. Of course there are a few exceptions like for illness in certain rules and observances we have. But once you become a Buddhist monk, you always keep the rules. You're committed to following the rules, following the Vinaya. And that's the same for everyone. The newest monk or the oldest monk. And whatever your particular character or the things you like in life or don't like in life, 
it doesn't change, does it? The Vinaya is the same. It's what we call Sila Samanyata. We keep the same rules throughout the monastic community. It's one of the causes for harmony, but at the same time it's a vehicle for letting go of self. They do it, I do it. We all keep the same rules, the same practices. If you stop to reflect on this, you can see how you're already letting go of some of the outward expression of self that comes in life. Outside in the world, we tend to be more individualistic. Some people may even aspire to be immoral or do things differently than everyone else because it fits with their view of who they are, their self-view. And in a monastery, there's a certain level of conformity, but it's not blind conformity without a purpose. It's a useful way to live together. It helps us to have a harmonious, peaceful community if everyone cooperates and you know, agrees to follow the rules. It makes life very smooth for everyone. But it's also, more importantly, it's helping us to erode away some of the coarser aspects of self that we display, particularly in our speech, our actions. And the more you practice, the more you notice how coarser mental defilements, say like greed, anger, jealousy, pride, conceit, they produce the strongest sense of self in our actions. It's one of the reasons it's an attractive, peaceful place to be in a monastery, particularly for lay people who live out in the world, because these coarser ways of behavior have been given up. We agree to give them up so we don't follow our extreme attachment to greed, so we don't say steal. We're celibate, so we don't commit acts of sexual misconduct. We don't uh, take advantage of each other or other people. We give up our coarse expression of anger. We don't kill, we don't physically hurt each other or even animals. This is all abandoning, letting go of the self-identity with those coarse mind states or coarse intentions that would lead to that kind of activity. So practicing sila is already eroding away some of this sense of self. It's already training us to, to recognize where this self-view, self-identity comes up and we become quickly aware of the, the suffering it causes when we follow it in its coarsest form. Someone was here today and they were saying how much they appreciate having come to the monastery for many, many years because it taught them the value of keeping the five precepts. There's somebody who works with in aged care working with old people who are always forgetting things 
people forget their money all the time, leave their money, and sometimes quite substantial amounts of money around. It's every day they have the opportunity to steal. And this person is not particularly well off. So they said when they first worked in aged care, they realized that this is a great opportunity to get free money. But they could never steal because of what they've learned from coming to the monastery and the happiness they found from keeping the precepts. And they said they, they can see in the old days, say before they came to the monastery, they had a different sense of self, almost like a different person, where they may, be attempt, may, be, may have been tempted to steal. But that old self has gone, it's finished. Now they're quite content with what they have from their ordinary earnings and just the happiness of being kind to people so they don't steal, even though they get the chance every day. Sila is like this. It's helping us to erode away certain aspects of self, particularly the coarsest aspects of greed, anger, delusion. We learn to be honest, to be scrupulous as a monk. You're scrupulous, training your coarser, rougher intentions, more negative, unwholesome intentions that may arise quite naturally. You're learning not to follow them, not to hold on to them, cling to them as self. You learn to let them go. You restrain them with the Vinaya training and then mindfully you wisely reflect and let them go. So a monastery is a place where we don't steal. We don't abuse each other or abuse people. We don't lie. We can afford to be honest. We don't get intoxicated. So everyone here is sober. That helps, them to, that helps us to keep all the other rules when we're sober. This in itself is a great gift for the world, but even more so it's a gift for ourselves because we are eroding away the strongest sense of self-identity that leads to the, the breaking of precepts and the suffering that that brings to us, to others. Every day you, you have the opportunity to see not self at work. You may have an intention come up to deceive someone, hide, hide the truth, tell a lie. You may have the intention to do something not quite wholesome, not correct according to the Vinaya. But then you have the chance to see that intention is not a self. It's just a mental state that can be let go of. can be restrained at first through mindfully keeping to a rule, say, but then let go of, completely abandoned from the mind. And over time you can see that the more you do that, your mind is changing 
changing for the better. course as you practice then the good you do the service the dana and the sila you keep can still be a ground for a more subtle sense of self-identity I am the good one I am the kind one I am the forgiving one I am the peaceful one I'm the moral person and so on which is why we develop meditation and the qualities of mindfulness and wisdom, wise reflection and insight. Because even the good we do becomes the basis for more self-identity. So we carry on our practice as we meditate. We can even See, we're, we're identifying with the wholesome states that arise. As the Buddha mentioned over and over again, superior, inferior, high and low, coarse and refined, internal, external. Whatever way the candors, these physical and mental groups of our experience as a human, whatever the way they manif manifest, they're to be contemplated, investigated, examined. Is there a self in that? So even the feeling of goodness, sometimes we call it wholesome pride that arises in the course of practice, even that we investigate to see through it. Learn not to let ourselves get deluded or conceited about our own practice. It doesn't mean to say we give up the practice of dana or sila, but the fruits of it, we don't grasp at as, as self. The happiness, the good feeling that arises. We have to be careful not to make that our goal. So we keep practicing, developing mindfulness. This is why every day we have to put effort into sitting, walking meditation, and other ways we learn mindfulness, chanting, reflecting on the Dhamma, reflecting on what we're doing from moment to moment. When you come to practice meditation, then again, every aspect of it is pointing to the truths that the Buddha talked about, that Lumpur Cha talked about. And learning to be mindful, be aware from moment to moment when you're sitting, when you're walking meditation. You really investigate what is self, what is lasting, what do you identify with, the thoughts that come up, the feelings, and what do they do to you? 
Everybody has a body, a physical body. Everybody has to deal with aches and pains, illness, aging. Everybody has to deal with the ups and downs of life. Some people are kind to us, some people are indifferent to us, some people dislike us. But how do we respond? How do we react to all of that? As we're meditating, we're looking at that, learning. Learning to see how, our, how mindful and wise our reactions are, or are they just following the same old trains of, of craving and attachment? We're all in the same position here. We all have to deal with living in the world. We're breathing, thinking, sensitive human beings. So we all have to f experience the same kinds of things. The important thing is, uh, do we use the Dhamma, the practice of the Dhamma, to deal with our experience and to train ourselves? Are we bringing up effort to, uh, to arouse mindfulness, wakefulness, through our day, through a period of meditation, what is the quality of mind you have? When we're developing the, the breath as a meditation object, you use it as a learning experience. So following in-breath, following out-breath, observing what's happening to your body and mind at that point, that moment. And you notice when you're paying attention, then the sense of self fades from your experience. And the aim is to bring the mind more to be just with the breath, knowing the breath. As it goes in, the breath goes out. Why is that peaceful? It's because the sense of self fades, isn't it? The aim is to absorb into the breath. When we're not peaceful, it's because we're caught up in our thinking, the distracted mind, the moods. If you're new to the practice and you think you haven't yet experienced much peace of mind, well, that's where you have to have a bit of faith, trust in the teachers, those who have practiced before, the Buddha, Numpocha, and all our teachers. They have found peace practicing in this way. Numpocha said it's really a matter of just keep to keep going, keep putting effort into the practice. If you keep giving in to your moods, then things don't really gel together, don't really come together. Like the man trying to get fire with sticks and rubs and gets tired and stops. When he's finished feeling tired, then he starts again. He never quite gets the fire that he wants. 
What we're learning is to develop a more persistent effort, basically to keep at it, to be willing to keep at it, not give in to all our different mental proliferations and moods. You can watch them, but you don't have to get caught up in them and just keep returning to the breath. The more we practice this, then over time, this ability to keep the mind in the present moment, pay attention, it brings us rewards, it brings us this new experience, a new view, looking at ourselves, our own body and mind in a different way. You're not always reacting with clinging to feelings, physical feelings, mental feelings, moods and thoughts. We have more of an ability to just know things without clinging. You can know things and contemplate them to see them more as they are in nature. Things arise and they pass away. Feelings arise, pass away. Thoughts arise, pass away. Memories are changing. If you are really observing mindfully with and wisely reflecting on this, you know, leave something there in your mind. We might call this insight, or just a new understanding, a new way of looking at things, viewing things. What it does is loosens this attachment to the body and mind, and this normal way of self identifying with it as self. Lumpur Cha once compared this sense of self to like a screw, a metal screw, a screw that's been screwed down into something for a long time. It's just the way screws get, if you leave them for years and years, they rust a bit and they just get stuck into that whole. The practice of meditation, developing mindfulness and insight, is like the process of unscrewing the screw, loosening it, unwinding it until you can pull it out. But to do that, you have to really grab the screw tightly. And you can't you can't just sort of stick the screwdriver into the head lightly or move away, push away when you try to unscrew. Sometimes you even need another tool just to hold the screw firmly. And this is like mindfulness and wise reflection. You really have to look closely. You're going to understand what the Buddha taught. And to see a thought as impermanent and allow it to arise and cease, to see a feeling as impermanent, arise and cease, physical sensations and so on. To really let go of the sense of self-identity, you have to hold attention and just loosen, loosen the attachment, like loosening the screw. Or looking at the other way, what we usually do is we're not so mindful, we're just following our craving.
craving and attachment, following our views on things unquestioned, unexamined. That's like the process of just tightening the screw even more. Even if it's painful, you tighten the screw to a point, you can't tighten it anymore. You just start to damage the whatever it's in if you keep turning it. That's like the sense of self that's unaddressed when you give up the practice and you just follow your moods. It gets worse, doesn't it? Yeah, it's more painful. As you unscrew something, you feel relief, the release of getting the thing out of the hole. Sometimes we practice meditation and we're expecting some kind of special big bang or great spiritual experience or something life-changing experience. It may happen, but more likely it's going to be many small moments of life-changing experience, just more moments of insight where you're mindfully dropping some small attachment that you've been clinging to. Just let a thought go or a worry go. Or you sit with some pain and you let go of the aversion to the pain for a while at least. Tends to be more these small insights. Seeing things as impermanent, as not self. Is how the mind grows. How insight becomes established and how we we learn to let go. Maybe one day that will lead to something bigger, life-changing. But it doesn't really matter as long as you keep practicing in the same, in the correct way and you keep doing it. pointed out that these candors are not self. This body is not self. Thoughts and feelings, not self. Memory, perception, not self. So that means everything can be known as not self from our experience. So in one sense, we're completely free to examine, have a look at whatever we want. In that way you can be creative. You don't have to follow a particular technique or a particular line of investigation. And whatever comes up in your experience, you can choose to look at that if you wish. Ask yourself questions. Is this plan I've got in my head, what I'm going to do next, what is this? What is it made up of? Some string of thoughts, string of ideas. And what is that? Where is the truth in that? And the only real truth is that it's something that arises and ceases. 
What arises and ceases is not a lasting or substantial self. Whatever reaction you have, you like something. This feeling of attraction, desire. The only real truth is it arises and it ceases. Same with anger, same with hatred. What is the real truth of these things? They come up into your experience, but our aim is to try and make them all the objects for our mindfulness, for our investigation. Neither one thing is better nor than, nor than another. In the end, they're all the same. It's the great leveler. When the sense of self in our, our mental states is strong, then there are always the sense of me. With a sense of me, this is me, mine. Then there's something kind of special. Even suffering is kind of special. It's me, it's personal. But it just prolongs the problem, doesn't it, when we look at things that way. It's tightening the screw a bit, a bit more. When you relax your mind, just bring out mindfulness and just watch, but not get involved in these things, you feel a lot more peaceful. 